0: When I first came to Redeemer two years ago, I began by taking us through the book of Psalms. I did that because I believe we need the Psalms more than we might realize. See, what the Psalms do is they provide us with a biblical model of how we can and I think should relate to God. Life is a journey of ups and downs, and while some of those ups are really up there, the the birth of a child, a wedding, the joy of graduating high school or college, the downs can take us to extremely dark places. The death of a loved one, marital strife, past traumas that we might have experienced and are currently dealing with. Many of us have spent the better part of the last year and a half walking through what feels like deep darkness, the the valley of the shadow of death. And, And what the Psalter does, and that's just a fancy way of saying the book of Psalms, is that it gives us both a picture of God's redemptive work through the promised Davidic king, while also providing us with language and categories that we can use in our own prayer lives, both individually and corporately. What we did two years ago is we entitled that sermon series Joy in the Mourning and and mourning not necessarily at the beginning of the day but but the times where we're mourning and lamenting before God that in the midst of that pain we can have joy. And I would encourage you if you've never listened to those first couple of sermons from that series it it gives you some background information on the Psalms and, and, and the shape of the Psalter and how it's actually a story of God's redemption of his people. I would encourage you to take a look at that. At the time... I didn't realize that we were what we were preparing for because in just 8 short months from that moment that we began the book of Psalms the pandemic began. And here we stand 2 years from when me and my family got here and the words we wrestled with in the Psalms have never felt more needed and appropriate. How long, O oh Lord, is the cry of our heart? And though we continue traveling through the valley of the shadow of death, the story of the Psalter ultimately takes us to the house of the Lord, where we will dwell forever, the place where everything that has breath praises the Lord. See, that's the trajectory of our lives if we belong to the family of God. That's where this journey will take us ultimately. And the beauty of the family of God, of belonging to Christ, is that we actually get a foretaste of the kingdom as we walk through the darkness of this world. That's the beautiful thing about being a Christian. I was speaking with someone right before the service this morning about how how difficult it must be for those who don't know Jesus to walk through this last year and a half. Oh, but for those of us who have a king, who sits on the throne, ruling over all creation, we have we have hope. So if you would turn with me to Psalm 23, we're going to start with just the first three verses. I initially chose Psalm 23 because I wanted to dig into a familiar psalm and find some deep exegetical nugget for us. And we'll definitely dig a little bit this morning. But as the week went on, as I was studying, I realized how much I personally needed to be reminded of God's love and care for his people, and what my union with Christ gives me access to. So in a sense, I I did this for me this week. But Lord willing, it'll be for all of us. Psalm 23 is a psalm of David. And if we're categorizing it, it would be considered a royal psalm or a psalm of trust. Following Psalm 22, where David is clearly struggling, the, the 23rd psalm reveals to us a David whose confidence, regardless of his circumstances, resides in his king. In other words, the king needed a king, but not just any king. He needed a shepherd king, and we're going to get into that in just a minute. So let's take a look at these first three verses. It says this, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. A couple of things pop up. The Lord, or Yahweh, is being described as a shepherd. See, this makes sense because throughout the Old Testament, Israel is referred to as sheep who need to be tended to or shepherded. So while this is about David, it's also about Israel. And if it's about David and Israel, then guess what? it's also about Christ and his church. If it's about David and Israel, it is also about Christ and his church. See, another thing about shepherds, which is different from a normal king, is that a shepherd travels with their sheep. See, a shepherd doesn't do this. A shepherd doesn't stand back from his sheep. A shepherd actually spends time with the flock in the midst of the flock. One scholar says it like this. The shepherd lives with his flock and is everything to it. A guide, a physician, and a protector. A guide, a physician, and a protector. And what does this shepherd king do for his sheep. He takes his people to green pastures and still waters. In other words, he provides rest for his people. See, the language that we read in this particular psalm is, is carries with it the idea of a resting place. That's what still waters are. It's a resting place. And how much we need that resting place in the midst of the chaos of this life. We need that peace. We need that rest. The text also says that he restores my soul and he leads me in the paths of righteousness. What I think is really interesting about this is that this seems to be foreshadowing something that's about to happen in the upcoming verses. Something is up, something's going on because what we need is restoration of our soul or our lives. And we need that path of righteousness. But what's interesting, as we'll see as this psalm unfolds, is that there's this path of righteousness and then there's this valley of the shadow of death and both require walking. And and I'm, I'm beginning to think that this is actually one path, that this is one road that we're going to be traveling on. This path of righteousness will actually bring us into the valley of the shadow of death. And we see this. In the person and work of our Savior. Right? Because if this psalm is about David and Israel, then it's also about Christ and his church. And what is the path of our Lord but the path that led him to where? Jerusalem, which is what happens there, is he's crucified. And so the path of righteousness is the path that leads us into the valley of the shadow of death. But it's in the valley where God meets with us where God is with us. There's something beautiful about this psalm. There's something overwhelmingly comforting about knowing that not only do I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, but my Lord has done so before me. Not only do I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, But my Lord has done so before me. And finally, in verse 3, it says, For his name's sake. For his name's sake. See, he does this. He's our shepherd, and we don't want anything because he makes us lie down in green pastures. He gives us rest. He restores our soul. He leads us in paths of righteousness. Why? For his name's sake. To uphold his integrity. To make sure that his character as the loyal, covenant keeping God is maintained. Because our God doesn't leave us or forsake us, he walks with us. There's hope there, there's comfort there, there's peace there. What's the point of all of this? The covenant-keeping God, for the sake of his name, remains loyal to King David, carrying him along the way, providing for his needs, and giving him hope amid what appears to be hopeless. Remember the psalm that just came before. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But this wasn't just a psalm for David, but rather it was for all of God's people. Israel sang these words. Our Lord would have probably sung these words. And how much do we see this psalm coming to fruition in the life of Christ? Jesus' needs were provided for. And while he was tempted in the desert to submit to the devil, it was ultimately the angels that came and ministered to him in his time of need. And the Father cared for the Son in such a way that His life and ultimately His death and resurrection was for His name's sake. Father, the hour has come. Glorify Your Son that the Son may glorify You. That the Son may glorify You. See, see Jesus embodies this song. And so we get what is given in this psalm because our union with Christ gives us access to everything that Jesus has. That's good news, church. It's really good news. That's the beauty of our union with Christ. The this, this, this central tenet of the gospel is that when we bend our knee to King Jesus, we're brought into union with Christ, meaning, meaning that we get access To everything that he possesses. The adoption that brings us into the family of God. We get that because Jesus is the son. Our justification, we get that because Jesus' righteousness is applied to us. Our sanctification, we get that because Jesus is, is, is caring for us and making us holy. Our glorification, we get that because what happened to Jesus after his resurrection? He was raised up and seated at the right hands of the Father in glory. We get that. We get that. It's the beauty of the gospel. See, the good news is that Jesus is king, and we get access to all that he inherited because we have been brought into the family of God. That's how family works, right? When when someone adopts a child, they're not like considered not family. They're part of the family now, just as much as blood which means they have access to everything that family has. So everything we see taking place in the life of Christ, his suffering and his glory, we get. But it's important to note that we don't get the glory without the suffering. We have to die. We have to carry our cross. We have to travel through the valley of the shadow of death. So the text goes on. Verse 4, it says this. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, and your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The verse begins with the word, even though. In other words, what is being expressed does not necessarily affect the main point that the psalmist is getting at, that he fears no evil, or that all these things that led up the path of righteousness, all of that stuff is not necessarily affected by the valley of the shadow of death. See, he fears no evil, the text says. Why does he fear no evil? It says for, which when you see a word like for, it's similar to a word like because. So for and because are are kind of the same thing. He fears no evil because you are with me. Because your rod and your staff, they comfort me. That's kind of like if, 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 if you have a child, right, and they have a nightmare, and you go up into their room and you care for, the, for your child, they're no longer afraid anymore. Why? Because you're with them. Because you're with them. That's the promise we have throughout our entire existence as members of the family of God. He is with us, and his rod and his staff comfort us. Do you you understand what that says? Do Do you get this? Almighty God is with us individually and corporately as the body of Christ. He resides with us. We have the Holy Spirit. The temple presence of God resides in us. Fear not. This is a wrestling match though, right? This is tough because because we forget. We forget that God is with us. We forget that the temple presence of our Lord resides in us. We don't fully wrap our minds around that on a daily basis. In fact, I think when we do start to realize that is when the going gets really tough and we got nowhere else to go and we run to our Lord. But the reality is, is that he walks with us regardless. He's here. And similar to what Pete said, when we don't feel the presence of God, it's not necessarily on on God, but on us. Because we need to cultivate that. For over the next number of months, we're going to be figuring out how to cultivate that relationship with our Lord. We're going to be traveling through the Lord's Prayer in the fall, and in the spring we're going to be looking at those spiritual disciplines because we need to commune with our God. We need to learn how to be with our Savior. We need to learn how to pray, how to understand how God meets with us. That's vitally important for our walks with him because it's not just about, you know, fire insurance, right, as people have said in the past. It's not the point of the gospel the point is that God is with us the creator of the universe we get to be with him we get to talk with him we get to pray to him and he's with us see that's the best part of the good news is that he is with us and and so we fear no evil and then we have this, this phrase, the shadow of death, and that's exactly what it is. The shadow of death is the place where we stare death in the eye, the deepest of pains that we might experience. Job 38 says it like this, have the gates of death been revealed to you or have you, or have you seen the gates of deep darkness, which is the same word for the valley of the shadow of death. And so when we're talking about this deep darkness, we're talking about practically death itself, or at least it feels like death itself. The term shows up again in Jeremiah 2, verse 6, where the prophet equates the wilderness of the exodus with deep darkness, the valley of the shadow of death. He says this, they did not say, where is the Lord who brought us up from the land of Egypt, who led us in the wilderness, in a land of deserts and pits, in a land of drought and deep darkness? In a land that none passes through, where no man dwells. See, the psalm would have brought images of the exodus back to its original hearers. And for us, it should draw our gaze first toward the baptism-like death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord. Who was led through the valley of the shadow of death and came out the other side. And then to our own exodus journey where we were brought out of Egypt, our former lives as slaves, who now sojourn through this life of brokenness and suffering, where we endure trials and hardships, but where God promises to be with us and to protect us with his rod and his staff. So what's the point? The point is is that this is one of the best parts of the good news, that God is with us. Through every danger, toil, and snare, God is in the pit with us, drawing us nearer to him. That's the point. That's what's so beautiful about the good news. We get God. We get God. What good would heaven be without Jesus? It's no longer heaven. It's no longer the kingdom. We get God. That's got to that's sit with us. We have to chew on that. We have to remember that, that regardless of the static and confusion that is just pelting us day in and day out through social media feeds, through 24-hour news cycles, we have God. And he provides us a resting place, still water. See, the problem is, is that we keep going to other streams to drink. We keep going to other places to find comfort when Jesus is saying, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. But we're looking for rest in the wrong places. We got to fight to resist that temptation where we think that an overload of knowledge about this vaccine versus this vaccine versus this mask versus this governor versus this governor is actually going to give us peace. Only The only peace that we can have is from Jesus himself, and he wants to give it to us. We need to go to him. We need to go to him. We need to go to him. We need to go toward his still waters, his resting place. And so the psalm in verses 5 through 6, it closes with this eschatological triumph where the psalmist peers into the future to see what awaits the faithful. It goes like this. He says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Okay, so while the first part of this psalm promised provision at the table, the first part of this psalm promised provision. At the table, however, of the Lord in glory, our cups overflow. Right? There's a difference between these two sort of situations. We have, we have provision on the front end, and we have a cup that overflows on the back end. Right? This is that already not yet of the kingdom of God, where, where we walk through the valley of the shadow of death and, and God meets our needs. He nourishes our souls along the way. We saw that in the wilderness journey of of, of the people of God, of Israel, as they were fed with manna day by day, and they were given water as they were needed. But but they weren't yet in the land of milk and honey. Same with Jesus, right? He walked through the wilderness. The the angels ministered to him, but he was not yet seated in glory. No, that came at a later time. but, But he was given a taste of that. We get a taste of that as God meets our needs, as he nourishes our soul, as he restores our soul, as the text says. As we meet together as the body of Christ, we are are fed with the good news of the gospel. As we partake of the Lord's Supper, we are fed with the grace of God. Oh, but it's it's just a foretaste. It's just a foretaste. When we meet with the Lord in our in our prayer closets, when we pray and we study the scriptures and, and, and he feeds our souls, it's just a foretaste of what's to come. As we study the scriptures, as we as we challenge one another and encourage one another, it's a taste of what is to come. Our cup is not yet overflowing, but one day when we step into glory, when we look upon the Lord with unveiled faces, then our cups overflow and our heads are anointed with with oil and and goodness and mercy follows us all the days of our life and what does it say it says we will dwell in the house of the lord forever that we will be in the very presence the temple presence of god that same presence that filled the temple in the old testament we're going to see it face to face for all eternity see that's good news redeemer that's the best news This is where this journey through the valley of the shadow of death is taking us. It's taking us to glory. And while it might be painful along the way, the promise is that we will be with God. With unveiled faces, we will gaze upon our King. I mean, if we were in another sort of church, we'd all be jumping up and down right now. Like, we'd be really excited. Like... Like, I feel like I'm the only one jumping up and down. This is phenomenal news. It's phenomenal news. I don't even know where I am. Verse 6. I already read verse 6. I got ahead of myself. The life of the faithful, those have been brought into union with Christ by faith. What we are given is strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. The point is that this psalm, which was written by David sung by Israel and on the lips of our Lord, provides us with a hope grounded in the good news of Jesus who stepped into the valley of the shadow of death and was raised three days later and ascended to the right hand of the Father in the house of the Lord to dwell forever. The promise of God and the gospel is that we walk that same path with the promised Holy Spirit to guide us along the way and we too will be raised up to new life in the age to come, to spend eternity with our God. That's the good news of the gospel. That's what Psalm 23 is getting at. That's what it's trying to encourage us with. It's not just saying, hey, everything's going to be okay, right? Because sometimes we we will say that even to our kids, ah, everything's all right, everything's all right. When it's not, it's not all right. See, See, what the scriptures give us is, is actually a reason why it's okay. A reason. Because we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Those who belong to King Jesus, who bend their knee to King Jesus, who have their sins atoned for at the cross, who are justified by grace through faith, we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. See, that, that was the point of the temple in the Old Testament. The point of, well, well, first in the garden, right? And we've talked about this many times. I go back to Genesis 1 through 3, you know, a couple times a month, and that's fine because I think those are our founding documents, right? But the point of the garden was that it was the very temple presence of God. That was a temple. And what happened when they sinned is they were removed from the temple. They were removed from that face-to-face fellowship with our Lord, And the whole point of the Old Testament was to bring them back to that fellowship with God, to bring the people back to that fellowship with God. And it started with a temple. It started with the tabernacle, where the presence of God filled the Holy of Holies. And then it graduated to the temple, to Solomon's temple, where the the presence of God filled the Holy of Holies. And then there was those later temples that weren't as exciting as the former. But then there was this thing called the church that we just studied for the last number of months in the book of Acts. And on Pentecost, what happened? None other than that the presence of God filled the temple, us, the people of God. And that no longer did we need to travel to a foreign land or or some other place to experience God because God was in our midst through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And when we come together as the church, he's he's here with us. The temple of presence of God resides in us. And though it might be veiled, it's here. And the beauty when we dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever and ever, like I said earlier, we will look upon the face of our Lord with unveiled faces. And that's good news. That's where this life is bringing us, that's where we're heading. See, I, I needed this psalm this morning. I needed this psalm this week. I need the hope that is offered in these words. Because I've, I've felt the pain of Psalm 22, as I'm sure many of us have, where it feels as though we've been forsaken by God. I've traveled through deep darkness where it felt like death was lurking around every corner. But we can travel these paths both of which belong to God, the path of righteousness and the one that leads us through the valley of the shadow of death. And we can travel this path with confidence because King Jesus traveled it before us. It says in Hebrews 4, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. See, Jesus did it before us. And so we can have confidence to walk with him. And so that's the exegetical nugget that I was able to dig up this week. That the path of righteousness and the path that leads to the deep darkness of death is the very path of King Jesus. It is the very path of King Jesus. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, we are emboldened to follow him along the way as individuals and together as a local church here in Tom's River. Pete read from John 10, the Good Shepherd. He guides us. He walks with us. Through the work of his Holy Spirit, he leads us beside still waters. And we need those still waters. We need that resting place in the midst of chaos. And one day, we will get to the place where our cup overflows. In the meantime, we have this table that we meet at, that we come together at. This table where we're not only reminded of the death and resurrection of Jesus, but where we actually are nourished. Our souls are taken up into the heavenly places, and we're nourished by this means of grace where the presence of God resides. Oh, what a beautiful thing that we get God. We get the Lord, our Savior, Jesus, day in and day out. And on Sunday mornings, we get it in a different, more more tangible way, if you will. And I'm not, I I want to be careful with my words because I'm not I'm not talking about like a a transubstantiation. That's not what I mean when I talk about the, the presence of God at the supper. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about that spiritually Jesus is present when we partake of the Lord's Supper. He's with us at the table. It's a beautiful thing. Our souls are nourished. We receive grace. We receive hope. We receive comfort. We receive peace. We receive those still waters that we so desperately need in the midst of the chaos. We talked about it last week as Paul was brought through the storm, the ability that God has over the waters to to bring peace to them, to bring us through them. That's what we're talking about here. The presence of God who gets us through the valley of the shadow of death. That's good news, Redeemer. That's good news. That's good news. Let's pray. Oh, Father in heaven, Lord, we love you. We love you with all of our hearts. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your presence, Lord God. Lord, you're not an absentee landlord, Lord God, who, who, who engages with us at, at arm's length. Father, you are the incarnate God, the Lord Jesus who dwelt among his people and then sent his spirit to dwell within us, Father, which you tell us is better. Father, you are the good shepherd. You walk with us. You meet with us. You're in the pit with us. You're in the deep darkness with us, shining a light unto our feet, Lord God. Oh, that's good news, Lord. Thank you so much for that, Lord. We need this, Lord God. We need you. We need your grace. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.